0: tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. There is only one place healed the sick, fed the poor, restored marriages that otherwise would have never been restored, and brought inner peace built eternal friendships, and reconciled people together that would otherwise hate one another. This place is called church. There is also only one place in this unique way that has fostered gossip, created division, built hatred, caused long-term hurt and damage... And has been misused and misunderstood. This place is also called church. So this begs the question, what is church? What is the purpose? Why does it exist? And I believe that we are all guilty of making this question too small or too simple. Uh, too small, maybe if we're on the outside, and too simple a lot of times if people grew up in church and it's all they've ever understood and they take it for granted in a really strong way. All right, so what is church? What is the purpose of church? A lot of people, it's, it's so routine that they know on Monday mornings they're supposed to get up and go to work On Friday, they understand that their weekend, on Saturday, they understand that their weekend begins, and then they know on Sunday morning that they're supposed to get up and go to this this ritual or this added routine in their lives. Why? Because they've been taught it's what good people are supposed to do. Whereas a lot of people have come along especially in the Western Hemisphere in the last 20, 30 years, and said, no, that's not good people. Those actually are very divisive people. They say that they're supposed to practice these two great commandments of loving God and loving neighbor, but the reality is that I see the opposite of that, therefore I consider myself justified to reject that. Some of you are are there right now, especially some of the people that are listening online. If you're not there right now, you maybe have been there before. And if you've not been there before, maybe you fall into the experience of people who have been in church their entire lives and simply take this experience for granted. All right, so we're going to spend the next six weeks discussing this. The purpose of this series will be to frame a gospel understanding of church so that we can go forward as a church as the church was intended to, believe, uh, to be. Believer's church, in other words, should be different after this experience, after this series. So I'd like to, to start with a theme that I hope becomes more and more clear as we go. And please understand this because this is going to this is really going to mess up your world in a lot of ways. Church is not a building, it's not an event, and it's not a weekend experience. All right, Church is not a building that we go to, and it's not an event or a weekend experience that we happen to take part in. Church instead is a body of people You and I, let's let's get rid of also this individualized view of spirituality. It is a body of people working together to bring the kingdom of God to earth. So first we really have to, if we're going to rethink church, first we have to have a really strong understanding of what church initially was intended to be. All right, some characteristics of this. These people are bound by salvation in Jesus, are a commonality and experience of life, transformation, the ethics of Jesus that we see the clearest in the Sermon on the Mount, and also the power of Jesus, which is deeply illustrated in the book of Acts, which is where we're going to be for this series. These people also are called to be in a a seven-day-a-week, not one-day-a-week, a seven-day-a-week radical journey of following Jesus, here's the key part, together, all right? So we have to, again, get rid of this individualized idea of spirituality. Everything is my personal relationship with Jesus, my quiet time, my view of spirituality, You know, if you have that subjective view of spirituality, which is fine if that's your view, I just want you to understand that it completely falls outside of what Christianity was founded upon. In in fact, if anything, it was built upon the American idea of rugged individualism. All right, this is about a body. This is about a collective this is about people who are learning to work together toward one common purpose over a period of time. So in this six weeks, we'll, be discussing, uh, we'll not be discussing six important themes of the church. I'm not saying that each, me- each message is not going to be a little bit different and focus on something. But I want you to look at, as painful as this may seem, is this being like a six-hour conversation that just happens to be separated into six different blocks. Because there's no possible way, if you look at a church statement of faith, if you, if you talk to somebody about what the church is supposed to represent, you could narrow, never narrow it down to six things. All right, So this is kind of six weeks in which we're going to talk about a multitude of different things. And my belief is that if we really pay attention if we come out of this listening to this in person or listening to the podcast or a live stream or needing to re-listen to make sure that you get it, we're going to have a real firm understanding of what it was meant in the first century to talk about this idea of ecclesia or this idea of church. So here is my goal as it pertains to you guys, to challenge the people of Believer's Church. Yes, you guys, those that are not with us today, uh, those that are here in person, those that might be listening from home today, to challenge the people of Believer's Church to activate the power of God in the world in which we inhabit. Now, for us, that is northeast uh, Tennessee, all right? So we want to make this information that we're going to have over the next six weeks applicable In our current context, all right, we're not in Atlanta, Georgia. We're not in Nashville, Tennessee. All right, we're not in a a rural area in in Arizona or or somewhere else in another area of the country or in another area of the world. How is it that we take these seeds of what the church is supposed to be as a body together and in an incarnational way, make that present within the community that God has given us, all right? How is it that we take the meaning of the church, the purpose of the church, and all those things and do this? Now, I completely understand. Again, I try to address people listening online and people in person a little bit different because the majority of you are in here because you're in here on a regular basis or you've recently started coming to church. A lot of people that are listening to the podcast or a lot of people that are listening online Some of them are believers, but other people are listening as outsiders that have a very fickle, uh, suspicious, if not negative view of church. Why is that? What they've experienced growing up, uh, what they hear in the media or on the news about evangelical Christians or what they hear about the church. A lot of people have a negative view, so the idea behind rethinking church is starting with a completely clean slate and not talking about all of the ways that we've messed up, which we will continue to do, But look at the original idea and what we strive to be. Why in the world does someone want to focus on everything negative and say they don't want to be part of something instead of striving for what something is supposed to be in its origins? You know, you're actually part of the problem, if that is is your view. So again, what I'm challenging you to do is to look at this in a completely new way. I tell college students all the time, it's not very difficult to learn something. It's really not for almost anyone. In case you have a certain, Unless you have a certain kind of disability, it's really not that hard to learn, but it's very difficult to unlearn. All right, so what I'm asking you to do is to attempt to do something very difficult, similar to the, to the experience of trying to learn a new language, is to unlearn uh, some of the things that you've heard, been taught, understood, seen, witnessed, and all these kinds of things. In order to do this, we're going to spend six weeks in the book of Acts. And uh, the reason I think it's important to do this is because this is the origins of the New Testament church and the time in which the power of God really comes down to earth and people are filled with the presence of God. All right, as we approach today's passage, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today, verses 36 through 39. You can turn there, you can look on the screen, however you want to do that. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39. This event that we're, we're looking at today marks uh, the falling of the Holy Spirit. We call this Pentecost, all right? And Pentecost is even celebrated on our Christian calendar. All right, this event marks the falling of the Holy Spirit upon followers of Jesus several weeks after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. This event represents a promise that Jesus would baptize his followers in the Holy Spirit. This has been interpreted a many, of, uh, many different ways, and we are not getting into all of the ways that this has been interpreted, because we're actually going just a little bit further in the story today. All right, we are going to jump in at the end of a sermon by the Apostle Peter, who at this point is no doubt the, the most important figure within the idea of, of early Christianity. The church is not exactly established yet, all right, but but Jesus tells Peter, if you remember, if some of you recall that the rock will be built upon uh, Peter and that's actually what his name uh, actually means. All right, so what's exciting about this is this is what we would call the first Christian converts of the original church, the original church. Everything is brand new. All right? Before we had a chance to talk bad about what someone else was wearing at church, before we had an opportunity to point someone else because they were point someone else out because they were a liberal before we had an opportunity to point someone out because we saw them drinking at the bar down the road before we had an opportunity to really argue with another person about their position on doctrine before we saw cable news talk about how horrible church people reacted to this it's all fresh and it's all new and this is very exciting All right, Acts chapter 2, looking at verses 36 through 39. This is what the Bible says. This is the new revised uh, standard version. Therefore, this is the conclusion of Peter's sermon. So we're not actually getting the sermon. We're getting the tail end. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him, we're talking about Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified, Romans, this Jesus whom you crucified, uh, some of the Jews. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? This is incredible information, and keep in mind, they see people coming to know Jesus everywhere around them. In fact, I probably should have set that stage a little bit better with everything, the, the insanity that they are witnessing everywhere around them. What should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift Of the Holy Spirit, just like all these other people that you're witnessing doing all of these wild, bizarre things that you've never seen before, you'll also receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. All right, so three things that we must address about this place called church, because what we want to do today is lay a foundation. All right, that's all we're doing today is we're laying a foundation that is really going to play out in the next 5 weeks. All right, this foundation made up of three things. The big announcement, all right, because there's a big announcement and this big announcement means everything. With this big announcement which is which is fairly shocking comes the big question. And then the most important thing other than ma- the big announcement is pretty important too. But probably, the, I'll say the second most important thing is the answer. All right, so we have this announcement, this proclamation by Peter. We have a question by the people. And then we have an answer by Peter. All right, so what is the church? Uh, the church is a bunch of religious people. Uh, what is the church? Oh, the church is a bunch of people who judge everybody else if you're not like them. And if you believe everything, anything else, they hate you. All right, so what is the church? Oh, the church hates gay people. Oh, so what is the church? The church is the most politically incorrect people that I've ever been around in my entire life. What is the church? All right, we get the church right here, exactly what the church is. So first, uh, the big announcement, and this is the biggest announcement. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. All right, that's what Peter says. The big announcement is that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. As you say to yourself, Matt, I've been in church my entire life, I know that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. Uh, Why don't you tell me something that I don't know? Well, maybe you know that you've heard that, all right? Or maybe that is something that you believe. But what are the implications of this? And what does this mean if we really, really look deep into trying to decide about carpet color, which wouldn't apply to us, or who we got that problem taken care of, all right, or what we should or should not have in our statement of faith, or how we should look at this particular person, or how we should feel about this particular issue. The first thing that we need to start with is this reality that Jesus is the Lord and Messiah. And you have to understand that this is completely new. This is radical To people that are hearing this at this time, verse 36 says this, Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord, Kyrios, and Messiah, Christos, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the church is the proclamation to the world that Jesus is Lord and Messiah and that there is not room for another Lord and Messiah. And it's certainly not you. It's certainly not you. So what does this mean? When we say that Jesus is Lord and we say that Jesus is Messiah, let's break it down because unfortunately a lot of times people do not break this down. So what does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? It means to say that he is Kyrios or that he is master in uh, Greek. So, look at the implications of this and how deep this goes. And some of it, some of you, you may not care for this very much. This simply isn't stating that Jesus is master in some generic way. In the ancient world, Caesar, the emperor, was called Lord, he wasn't just viewed as a political leader. He was also even worshipped by a lot of the people. So this is what Peter is saying. And this is very, very difficult for people. And I promise it's going to be difficult for some of you in just a second. Peter is stating that kingdom identity must rise above Roman identity. All right, this is about nationalism. And today, kingdom identity must rise above identity as an American Did you hear that part? Did you hear that part right there as we try to combine the two? Please hear me whenever I say this. The cross and the flag never belong in the same conversation. These are two very, very different things. And this is not my way of saying don't be patriotic. Be patriotic. Love your country. There is nothing wrong with that. But we cannot marry these two things because they are two very, very different things. And this is exactly what's going on in the Roman Empire. So this is very shocking to people who have this deep allegiance to Rome. So they are radically, radically different symbols. Peter is stating that Jesus is master and requires allegiance on a completely new level. By calling Jesus Lord, Peter was also stating that Jesus and God are the same person. And this is not as difficult for the Romans or for the Gentiles as it is for the Jews who have seen God, who have seen Yahweh, who have seen the God of Israel in one way. And now we're taking Jesus and not simply saying that Jesus is the Son of God, but we're giving Jesus equal status We'll eventually see this in the Trinitarian formula when we see the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, which are, which are later going to be uh, released by early Christians. But he's not just Lord. You know, Rome, Rome doesn't, doesn't just have to take a, a back seat. He's also the Christos or the Messiah. And this is really important for the Jews because what's going on here to these Jews that weren't actually walking in the ministry of Jesus is Peter is saying he is the one He is the chosen one. We have been waiting for centuries. We have been waiting for this chosen one to come to earth. And this Jesus that was crucified, this Jesus that we now know, because this is just weeks after there were many, many witnesses, has also resurrected. He is the one that is supposed to overtake our lives. He is the one that we are supposed to surrender to. He is the one that in the midst of all this chaos in the midst of all this difficulty and uncertainty, in the midst of having very little understanding of what's going on around us, this is indeed the Messiah that we've been waiting for. So please understand that Peter's words have spiritual, social, and political implications. They touch every single area of the human experience. Otherwise, he's not Lord. Otherwise, he's not Messiah if he's just given partial attention, if he's compartmentalized into some areas of your life. So the issue that we see in the modern church, the problem with this big announcement is that a lot of people have never fully lived into this. They have a weekend event. uh, They have a Sunday service. They see their church building as something that they need to preserve and something that they need to take care of. But he's never been Lord over their lives. He's never been the Messiah that has fully taken over and changed their hearts. So that's the announcement. And the question is this, for the church, and, and this is a good question, what do we do with this information all right all of a sudden like i said we're we're, we're americans in the 21st century most of us i'm assuming are americans and this is the 21st century so this is information that we've heard over and over again this is information that has been passed down and passed down and passed down and you live in the bible belt so you're either sick of hearing it or, or 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 you love it but what exactly does this mean to a new audience whenever they hear this what are we supposed to do with this is, is what they're asking. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. All right, That's not a small thing. That doesn't mean, well, they had a little bit of anxiety. Well, they wondered if this would change their lunch plans. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brother, brothers, what should we do? Like, what in the world do we do with this information? You you guys, you're erecting something completely new. You're foundationally talking about something that we have never experienced before. We know what it's like to go to the temple and observe. We know what it's like to hear the Torah open and read. We know what it's like to go through these routines and rituals of our lives. But what in the world is it that you're talking about? This powerful phrase, cut to the heart, means... That they were drawn into this moment of need. All right? All of a sudden they recognize listen to this. I thought, (laughs) I thought I understood things. I thought I had this religion thing wrapped. I thought I had everything taken care of. I thought it all made sense and I was good to go. But this has certainly thrown a wrench into my plans. They are literally at this moment, what if my entire life I've been wrong? So then you get the answer for the church. All right? And this is the bedrock of the church right here. This is is it. And And if you don't get this part right here, you just don't have it. All right? Change your heart and be baptized. Change your heart and be baptized. So with all this new information, with it, he, he's the Lord, he's the Messiah, this is the foundation of something new. What does this mean? Peter, Peter finishes up the sermon. Change your heart and be baptized. This is inclusion in the church. Verse 38 says this, And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus. Why? Why do that? Why does it make sense to do that? So that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the Holy Spirit. This transformation these radical events that are going on around you, why does it make sense for a selfish person to all of a sudden take all of their things and give to the poor? That doesn't make any sense. How do you take an abusive man who treats his wife like junk and all of a sudden he wants to treat her with the dignity and the respect that she deserves? What are these things that are happening all around us It's a change of heart. It is an individual that is walking in one direction in their life. Get this right here. Life is about me. I want to go to this college. I want to have this job. I'm going to raise my kids this way. I am going to spend my money this way. Way, I am going to prefer these things, and our life is spent in one direction. Now, what it means to repent, very simply and visually, is to do this. And that's what it is. And that's what the spiritual journey is. I was there, and now I'm here. And this is not a suggestion. This is not simply a good idea. This is not an add-on to other things. This is what it means to be part of the church, to forsake and give up yourself over and over again. To repent means to change your heart or to change direction. And you know what happened then? All right, so so all this all this stuff, Pentecost is happening everywhere. All this stuff is going on. All right, Peter makes an announcement. People ask a question. Jesus gives a or Peter gives a response. The people choose to respond, and three thousand people were converted, and we see the origins of the church. So what is the New Testament built upon? Was it six or seven southern white guys getting together? I think we need to charter a new church. We're going to start it right now. No. It was a radical denouncement and refutation of everything that they cared about for the sake of God and for the sake of others. And it completely transformed the Roman Empire. It completely transformed Asia Minor during this time in history in a way that, that, quite frankly, I don't think we've ever seen before. The church is not irrelevant. The church is a place of transformation. It is not irrelevant. Though it may appear to be dying in North America, a new book that I'm reading, it is thriving in the global south, and will be bigger than ever as we go into the future. Church is not irrelevant. Now, the way your pastor does it may be irrelevant. Now, a lot of the people sitting in the pews or in the chairs, they may see it as irrelevant, or they may live very irrelevant lives, but this, this idea of the church is transformative. It's a place where proud, wealthy people fall to their knees Because of their spiritual poverty. It's a place where broken relationships between a father and a daughter. Or a husband and a wife are mended. It's a place where the addict finds sobriety. It's a place where anxious people still find rest. It's a place where angry people find resolve. It's a place where lonely people find community. It is a hospital for broken sinners. And it still is today, this idea rings true. The church is still the church. And if you are on the outside of this ugly, hypocritical thing, you're missing out. You're missing out because Jesus is that good. And when you spend time around transformed people, it becomes contagious. And you become hungry as well. So what do we do with this? Like, like, how do we really live into this? How do we go from where things were or what things currently look like, how do we go from that and step into something new? It's very simple. Well, it's not simple. I can say it in a simple phrase, but it's not simple. We must create environments where the kingdom of God is both visible and contagious. All right, I say environments and not environment singular because this is one environment and this is just a building. We create environments where the kingdom of God is visible and contagious. And can I just say, because I am a realist, all right? I know that we are in the middle of a pandemic. And I know that to have small groups... And to do the kind of outreach the church is absolutely called to do. And a lot of the things that I know that we are called to do are very difficult during this season. And there is not a lot that we are able to do about some of those things right now. But there will be a day and there will be a time when we can step back incarnationally into the community. And do the things that God is calling us to do. We encourage people. We have to encourage people over and over, church people and non-church people, to rethink church, to reconsider this idea that, in my opinion, for good reason, many people have rejected. Now, get this, and this this is going to hurt. Like, I get this, all right? Do you want to know why people view church as irrelevant? Do you want to know why they view church as irrelevant? You're going to think, well, you're a pastor. You've been a pastor for a while. You're in church. There's no way you can answer this. You need someone outside of the church to answer this. No, I think I can answer this. I'm going to take a stab at this. All right, I'm going to try to answer this. So, why do people consider the church to be irrelevant? Because a building full of religious hypocrites cannot compete with everything else that society has to offer. Why do people consider church to be irrelevant? Because a building full of religious hypocrites, cannot compete with everything else that society has to offer. You know what a lot of people tell me? That's my only day of the week that I really have a break. That's the only day of the week that I have off. So Sunday is kind of my recharge day that I want to stay home. I get that. A group of religious uh, hypocrites in a building cannot compete with a nice summer uh, Sunday morning fishing trip, Cody, or a good run with your spouse, exercise. A room full of religious hypocrites in the way that we've presented things, it can't compete with breakfast with your kids. If that's the only opportunity through the week that you have the oppor- that, that you can take your kids out and spend meaningful time with them, why do you want to go in a, in a building full of religious hypocrites when you can have that meaningful family time? It can't compete with sleeping in, which some people are doing right now. Sunday being their only day off, it can't compete. Why would I want to come and sit in a room full of fake people and not sleep in on my only day of the week off? But again, the thing that I hear the most common that people tell me is that Sunday is their recharge day. Nothing will recharge you for Monday like the power of God. Transformed in a church when things are real. Are we going to be there? How do we do this? What does this look like? How do we create environments where the kingdom of God is both visible and contagious? I want to go back to, to, to two things that I just talked about that, that have to be instilled into our lives. Uh, the first is we have to live as people that are bound by salvation, this, 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 this transformative experience. The ethics of Jesus, which are super, super radical and scary, and the power of Jesus to transform and change lives, every single life. Nobody's too far gone. I don't care how much you hate your ex-wife. I don't care how much you say grandma's done, she's never been in church. The power of God can transform anyone. We also have to to live as people that are called in to a a seven-day-a-week, not a a one-day-a-week radical journey of following Jesus, key part, together together united. One common goal. One common focus. Taking that announcement that Jesus is Messiah and that Jesus is Lord, very, very serious. So we can't compete. We can't compete with all of these other things in the world that are wonderful things. If a lot of the people that seem to take it serious... That are always posting their verses on Facebook. That are always trying to tell other people to come to church. That are even worse, trying to tell other people how they should live their lives. We can't compete with everything that society has to offer if we continue to treat it like a building, an event, or a weekend experience. We have to find that power. We have to uh, tap into that reality that was experienced in the first century that has continued over time in my life in the 20th century to transform and change lives in further to the 21st century. Would you pray with me this morning? We come to you, Father, as people who have, let's let's just be honest, as people who have misunderstood at best, at, at best we've misunderstood. And while we believe we have sent or attempted to send a lot of people in the right direction, we need to hold some responsibility and accountability because we are the ones that have actually sent them wayward. How do we be this salt? How do we show this light? How do we live in a transformed way in which we show that you are Lord and Messiah? We lift you up and we praise you. And we ask, Father, through the fires of Pentecost that the Spirit fall on this church in a way that we even lack the ability to turn it off. We pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.